All right, so we got a special version of the Agile Wire and the Metacast today. We have a joint podcast going on. So we have four people. So this is an experiment. You know, we tried pairing. That was great. We went to three. That was great. Now we're going to four. It's just like becoming like a, you know, a mob podcast here. So, um, so we've got Bob and Josh and Jeff and myself, and we want to start a conversation about leadership transformation. So let's start with that word transformation. Like, I don't like it. So I would rather go with the word journey because I don't think it ever ends. A transformation tells me that there's going to be something that we do for a while and then all of a sudden it's done. And I don't think that agile transformations or agile journeys are ever done. I think they continue to go on forever. I mean, I don't like it either. Transformation. I don't have a replacement, though. A journey's not bad. I think of cultural change, right? So if I said culture transformation that maybe is never ending or something or organizational development change. So as a change curve, which is sort of the way I think about it, then I'm okay with transformation, but agile transformation, it almost sounds like a magic wand or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like pixie dust where you sprinkle pixie dust on people. Or like, we're going to buy this agile transformation thing off the shelf and we're just going to install it over here in this organization. And that's just not how it really works. Exactly. So I kind of like the word, just because it's it takes a lot of effort. So I go back to my childhood and Transformers, right? You oh. went from a truck to a robot. That's not simple and it looks kind of painful. <laughs> and that and that's the reality of the situation is it's it's a it's a bit messy and in the end you need to be something completely different. Oh. So I like the aggressive nature of that word. I totally understand the concept of of the journey because you're right. You feel like, Hey, I'm a robot now and I'm done. And if I follow these five steps, like I get the direction you're going, but I am uncomfortable with softening it because one of the things that I do when I go in to start and coach through a transformation or a journey or a transformational journey, maybe that's what it becomes. There you go. Uh, I, I am pretty aggressive with the wording of this will be hard. This will not be easy. If it was easy, you would have already done it. And you would already be where you want to be. And every other company would be running as smoothly as they desire. But in reality, operating in this efficient manner with sense is difficult. So you got to prepare yourself and you got to prepare everyone else for this whole journey that it's going to hurt and it's going to be painful. But in the end of that journey, if you ever get there, mm -hmm. uh, then it's worthwhile. I like where you went with kind of both in fact, all, all three of yours input. But as Jeff was talking, I was, I was going to the same place Josh went, which was like, what else transforms in life? And I, th I thought like a caterpillar into a butterfly, right? And to Jeff's point, like there is a distinct change. Like you were a caterpillar, now you're a butterfly and there's no, you're not going to continue transforming after that. But then what Josh was talking about, like, I don't know if that's a painful experience per se for a caterpillar to transform into a butterfly, but it, it's certainly a very complex one, right? And there's a certain sense of fragility in, inside of there. I don't know. I'm stuck in the middle with this now because I kind of like both of them with, but really the, not the mindset, but the understanding of the landscape of what's really going on when you're going through something like this. I think it's important to say that there's no end, right? So journey implies yeah. that. Right. Uh, the other thing I liked about Josh was level of difficulty. Like I do a lot of leadership coaching and very early on, I always sort of want to check them. It's like belly up to the bar. This is going to be hard. So are you in or are you out? Are you ready for it? 
I, I mean, I'll look them in the eye sometimes in a class and it's like, are you, re- this is not easy stuff. And so it's, and transformation is not mm-hmm. easy, right? Like Optimus Prime, mm-hmm. it must be painful moving from a semi truck to whatever he is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be some pain in that yeah. and effort. It's painful because you're really, you are changing your organizational culture, right? Like that's really what it's all about. And once you change that culture, your culture changes to something of like continuous improvement continuously. And so I guess that is a transformation into that, but you never hear of like, you know, there's digital transformations, there's agile transformations. You never hear of Google or LinkedIn or Netflix or Spotify going through a a digital transformation or an agile transformation because that's just their culture, right? That's just who they are. And I think that all these companies are going through that are the ones that haven't kept up to that bar. Yeah. But those, those companies are in the grand scheme of things, they're, they're fairly new. Like what Spotify was around for 10, 10 years, Microsoft around for 25 years. When you think about financial institutions, insurance institutions, or many other organizations that have been around for hundreds of years, like, I think that that word transformation is applicable because it was never part of their culture. Like there was no digital revolution. Digital wasn't the thing a hundred years ago, right? When Northwestern Mutual was around. Sorry, it's a a financial institution here in in Milwaukee where we're at. So you can say, yeah, it's always just been part of their DNA, but that's just because they're so young. They're so, well, they're just young in the evolution of an organization. So it is a different entity to say, that they've come up in the last 50 years or so when digital was already starting to become a thing or technology was becoming sort of a thing versus a hundred plus year old organization that has to evolve over time. If we didn't trigger on transformation versus journey versus whatever, if we put that off to the side and we just say, what are the terms? And I know that words matter. I agree that words matter a lot, actually. But underneath it, what are some of the words? So I heard like continuous change, right? As being words underneath it, aspects. So what would be some of the aspects of a transformation that we would think were key? And we put pain up there. I'm going to put pain in there. Yeah. Right. Pain is the wrong, but, but hard work. It's hard work. So maybe replace pain with that. I mean, we go back to all the foundational things that we've talked about across our podcast, it all starts with trust. And that's often some of the biggest hurdles that historical organizations have to work through is establishing trust in all 360 degrees, because some of that just teams weren't trusted because that's not how it worked 150 years ago or things like that. Or this whole model of information workers is very different than on the manufacturing line. So all of those things are different and you have to build that trust to where I, as a leader, trust that the team is doing the right things. And then I, as a team, trust that the leader has the best interest and will listen to us and will do all of those things. So to me, that's the biggest hurdle is establishing that organizational trust in all directions So that we allow ourselves to work through the pain because that's kind of what happens, right? It gets a little bit messy and things get hard. You're like six months in and you're not there yet and everybody gets frustrated and then trust starts to erode. Some of the old habits that may have been in place before return and then that's that that thread on that sweater that gets pulled and somebody has to snip it and say, okay, let's, let's chill, right? Let's get back to a trusting position. 
and reestablish the direction that we want to go. So to me, like you and I, Bob, will always start with trust. So hold it. You're getting poetic. And I don't, I don't <laughs> see this. Like a sweater holding a thread, snipping it. Yeah. What the hell was that? I, well, you know, when I'm allowed to talk, Bob. Um, <laughs> yeah, but talk about agile and transformation. It's not about sweaters, for God's sake. Uh, I'm like, who are you? So uh, so for those of you that maybe have never heard the Metacast with Bob and I before, there's this long-standing, some will call it a joke, some will call it a reality, this divergence in word count. Historically, Bob crushes me on word count and I'm okay with it, right? Bob's Bob. And I am well aware of that. And I enjoy Bob talking, but every once in a while, as we just experienced, Josh says some words and they make sense. You were eloquent. <laughs> no, I'm just amazed. I see it is amazing. Exactly. It does happen. Every once I wanted in a while. to react to what you real quickly. I was teaching a cow class, which is a scrum Alliance certified agile leadership class this week at a large Client, which is talk, which sounds like our large, long-term uh, clients that we were or firms, and we took a diversion, and we drilled into trust in the class, and I was very uncomfortable. I actually left the room for an hour and let them duke it out on trust. This was a private cow class, but it was a beautiful thing. They explored, and it was distrust. And all of these areas of distrust, of distrust of teams, distrust of each other. <laughs> distrust of the senior leadership, the CEO. And then they didn't whine about it, but they were talking about how do they build. So it was finding the distrust points as hurdles mm -hmm. that they had to then work on. And then they had, they prioritized it and identified it. And I guess what I'm saying is, is trust is a word, but in this case, it was incredibly broad and, and incredibly deep. And I felt good that that was, that was something rare for a leadership team to mm -hmm. expose early on. And it felt to me like they were on the right path. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about distrust, but maybe it would help because I think we use that word and it gets overloaded a lot of times. Like we talk about what does that actually look like? And so to me, when you say distrust, what I hear is like maybe a lack of conflict uh, within an organization. Or if there's conflict, it's behind closed doors. It's after the meeting. We don't actually talk about what, what the problem actually was. There's politics. There's misalignment. And so there's people going different direction. And then, oh, we can't correct that person. We'll just let them go do their thing over here. And we'll just course correct with something else over here. Like we just don't have the needed conversations that we need to have. And that's kind of an inhumane way to work is because you just don't give feedback to people. So they can't course correct. What other things do you think of when you think of like mistrust within organization? How about the anonymous feedback email? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think we're dancing around it, but but it it's transparency. When there's true transparency, true transparency can only exist in a safe place where everything's trusted and there's no and there's no fear of ramifications or anything of or we're going to go on a death march or whatever. All of the scary things that are out there that when you see true transparency that only exists with, with trust. So all of those things that you guys mentioned, those are a symptom of lack of transparency, which is ultimately a symptom of a lack of trust. Uh, so, so when I look at an organization and I see those hard discussions happening inside the team from a managerial position to someone they're trying to help grow all of those things or senior leadership making decisions and then telling people later, it's all those types of things. I'll pick on this client again a little bit. It's not an answer, but uh, I want to see where you guys come at it. So the leaders just didn't trust the teams. They didn't trust their estimates. 
I mean, they came out and said it, said it. We think the teams are uh, cruising. They're not committed. They're going to the beach during the day. Mm. They're lazy. I mean, I use the lazy term and they sort of defended against it, right? Although they're just maybe, you know, lackadaisical. (laughs) We don't like lazy. (laughs) So they triggered on it. They didn't trust their uh, understanding of the solution landscape at all. There were SMEs in the room, like really senior product folks who were like telling the teams what to do, right? Because they were the only person in the organization who knew what to do from their point of view. And any idea from the team, they just didn't trust the teams. They couldn't leave the team alone for a day and not feel like they were going to get off to off track. So is that transparency solves that? Well, I think it's also where I often turn things around on leadership and I work with them to understand that when you empower the team with the why, then they're going to be able to do the things you would like them to do. They might perceive that team as lazy because they haven't given them all of the information to be self-directed. So like, why are they going to figure that out? Well, because you're still withholding some of the info or you haven't worked hard enough at explaining to your entire organization why we're doing these things now and why this is the most important thing and how this helps our customer. When you connect those things, I always go back to the same old thing of people want to go to work and build something that they're proud of. They don't come in and they, and they just, they, I just want to put my feet up and like, that's hard to go home and feel good and happy. People want to build something cool and they want to be a part of adding value. And that can happen, but it only happens when leadership, whatever it may be, product or executives or whatever, it's actually all of the above with building a fully informed team. So that t- to me, people always talk about, oh, well, the team, the team, the team, but it, what you haven't really empowered them. You haven't enabled them to, to act the way you want them to act. You want them to, to, to think like an owner, but you haven't empowered them with the same knowledge that you have as an owner. So you've got to, you've got to treat them the same way. And that's where so many gaps come from. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I keep thinking, so it's, why aren't people engaged or I want people to have the same ownership as, as I do as an entrepreneur, as an owner, as an executive. And it's like, well, give them the information, get them close to the customers. Don't align them around something that's just delivering something to another internal team, another internal team, another internal team, right? Like get them close to that, let them feel that value. If they live the values of like scrum and um agile, like what you're going to get out of that is you're going to get the outcome of trust. But without those values, and like seeing that live out, I don't know how you, that's how I think you build trust. I think that's the outcome of the values. Usually the, something's missing there when you don't have that trust. Yeah. And what's interesting is what you described was like how it's prescribed to work. Like, <laughs> hey, like actually connect to the customers, have the feedback loops be short, ship early and often, adjust all of those things, right? Like if you just do it, it works. That's the odd you'll- gobbledygook to some degree, right? In it. So what's in it for the leader? I heard all of that, Jeff, right? It's like paint the why. I buy it. I'm with you guys. But at the same time, if I put on my if I put on my leader hat, right? Well, what's in it for me? What I heard there is I give up all of the accountability, all of my role. I give it to the team. And then what the hell do I do? Right? Where do I fit? How do I fit into the equation? Don't just tell me, I mean, what, I can go to a beach. 
well, send you, email with a vision. Yeah, when you get the, you create an environment and you protect the culture of the organization, like that's your job as a leader. You can go back to uh, David Marquez, you know, turn the ship around. Like that's all he did with the warship in the Navy and made it to the best ship ever. Like he didn't know how to do it. He just said, here's all the things I think about. I want you guys to understand, or you men and women out there to understand on the ship how I think and tell me what you would do. And then I'll help you to think like I think. So I think it's more that mindset shift of I don't need to be the one person, sole person accountable for this. I need to pass that accountability and give some autonomy. And hopefully people are giving you frequent delivery and alignment around your vision or whatever that vision is that we're setting on for as a team. So, But are we meeting them? I get that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of being a devil's advocate or a leader advocate. Now you told me read a book and do a paradigm shift and all of that. Coaches, I th- we should be walking with them somehow. Like what I saw in the cow room is they didn't know. They heard what everyone said they should be doing. But there were people there that had led teams for 20 years, 25 years, That's in a command and control fashion. And they read the books, but they didn't see how to do it. So, right? I, so I get where you're going. I, I lived through this. Ten years ago, I moved here to Raleigh and went through a series of jobs and a lot of them were in this transformation business and you do the transformation. And then I kind of got bored and moved on to another company and did a transformation. Then I landed at the company where I did the transformation faster than I ever had. And now my role evolved in, into a true CTO type role. And I remember the moment where I didn't know what to do because I had been in this firefighting mode of it was perfectly clear what I needed to do. This is the transformational journey that we needed to go on. Then I got to that weird point where we had the culture that we we needed. We were mostly through the transformation. No, we weren't perfect. Yes, we had things to do. But now it was time for me to evolve as a leader and and become that strategic leader and that cultural protector and evolutionist and all of those things. And those were things that, to Bob's point, I had read about. But I really didn't know what to do. And I and I remember the moment I, I was sitting across from a director that I trust and is fantastic. And I just kind of peeked around the the uh, cue ball and I said, Carol, there's no more fires to put out. There's no like, what do I do? Like, help me. I don't know what she's like, Josh, I don't know. Go on a walk. Go figure it out. <laughs> you know, like this is your deal. I got my own job. So what I did was every day I built this habit of I would grab an apple and I would go walk and I, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk as long as it takes me to eat this apple. And I would just go on a walk and try and figure like, okay, what the hell do I do now? And it took me a couple months of doing that to shed my old habits of like staring at the inbox of, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to <laughs> fix now to, okay, we've got that handled. That's it's all going in the right direction. The team's crushing it. Now, what do I do? How do I evolve? So uh, Bob's got a point. That's a thing that we need to help people with because so many people haven't had the opportunity to build a culture where they can say, okay, the team's got it. Now, how do I help them be more successful? And that's a different set of skills and techniques and just a different way of thinking. Yeah, I like the the shepherd analogy, like when the leader becomes the shepherd, right? And Jeff kind of hit on this with the culture, but you're looking out for the safety of the flock. And then at the same time, the leader's mindset is, how am I consistently and continually building up those below me to think at the level that I'm thinking about? So it becomes more of a, a mentoring 
um, type of role and shepherding. So mentoring to, to continually raise people up and shepherding to protect the environment and protect them from things that they may not be yet capable of handling on their own. Like the wolf comes and attack, the sheep just aren't ready to, you know, defend themselves in that situation. And that's where a leader can step in. Well, yeah, shepherding I- the shepherd too. So we were talking team word, right? But I'm also, I'm even more amplifying, I think in transformations or journeys, someone needs to walk right beside leaders and model and show them the behavior, Mm -hmm. not tell them to read a book. And I'm not picking on reading books, but it's like model. So the shepherd of the shepherds and model good behavior and bad behavior and, and appreciate them, give them positive feedback and constructive feedback along the way. And there's not many of those people. And when I've seen good transformations or journey, someone's been guiding the leaders uh, and doing a really good job of it because you can see their behavior changing. Yeah. Some of the most powerful conversations I've had have have been as I sit in a team meeting or something and a leader is speaking to the group and I just kind of take notes because I cringe along the way like, ooh. I don't say that or, oh man, those are the wrong words <laughs> yes. of those things. So like though, those are the powerful moments where you grab that leader and say, okay, here's what you should change. And here's why. And here's how as an engineer, here's what I hear. I know that's not what you meant. I know your heart's in the right spot, but those old words we've used before, we got to start using these new words and phrases and all those things. So that I think that's what Bob's trying to say is that there's a lot of work and a lot of the writing is around the teams and how do you transform the teams? But oftentimes the limiter is that leader. So some of the best orgs I've been a part of, and you'll know real quick, right? You're in there, you see that meeting, you grab that person. Hey, let's talk. Like here's, here's some feedback and do they absorb it and say, Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, cool. Thanks. Or do they get defensive? And then you've got, you've got some more work to do, but that that's one of those those indicators where it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. They're going to be fine because this person gets it and they want the feedback. Yeah. I was uh, recently working with a client and we've had some stuff working pretty well with the teams and, and the CEO comes, we were meeting and, and she comes up to me and she goes, what do I do now? There's no more fires back to Josh's story. Very similar story. And I'm like, cool. Now you can protect the culture. And she's like, I don't, so like, what kind of stuff? Like, what does that actually mean? Like, let's talk through that. And I'm like, well, I don't know exactly what it means. It's going to be different every single time. We have to embrace complexity, inspect and adapt, figure out what that next best thing is that can help protect the culture, um, help us to deliver to our customers and help us to like raise everybody's game up and think like you think. And she's like, okay, let's do that together. And so it was kind of back to Bob's point too. Like, it's a journey. It's not just for the teams when we're talking about changing, when we're talking about an, you know, an agile transformation or a journey or whatever we want to call it. It's really for everybody in the organization and everyone changes the way that they approach uh, work. And so I think that's another thing for leaders, I guess, to keep in perspective is that just because we're going through this, this process, this change doesn't mean that it's just everyone outside of you. You have to change too. Another part of it is I think courageous or crucial conversations. So that guide of the leaders and transformations need to have the courage and the wherewithal to call them out. Mm -hmm. Like there's some really bad behavior 
like historical, like for example, I don't trust my teams. They're lazy vagabonds and I have to, I have to light a fire under their butts every day in order to get the juice out of the, you know, whatever those, and those people think that way. Mm-hmm. They've been programmed that way. So sometimes you have to like pull them away and, and really challenge that. Mm-hmm. And like that is a BS posture. Did that really work for you for 25 years? Mm-hmm. No, no, I got laid off 52 times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That that's ineffective. But it's all I know. And then it's like, oh, I know. Well, it's wrong. You know, we have to tear you down <laughs> to build you up. But it's have those. You can't just go with the flow of those things. Mm-hmm. The other hard part is often they're paying the bills, right? So if you're a consultant, they're paying you. Or if you're an internal person, they're the leader, right? They're signing your paychecks, maybe mm-hmm. literally. So it takes a lot of courage, I think, to confront that in a positive way. Yeah. It takes artistry too. It's not just, it's easy to confront someone like thoughtless words. I mean, like really connect with them mm-hmm. is harder. That's those in those moments. That's where I get that responsibility gut punch. It's like, Oh man, like I gotta go, I gotta go do this and it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy, but it's like, this is my job. And then that's the conversation that I have with a lot of people like the see, CEO that Jeff mentioned, like, okay, like this is, this is your job now. Like it might not be what you've been doing, but this is, this is a responsibility. Like you have to step up and say these things and you have to really believe it because if you don't, people will see right through you and and your words will carry zero weight. And then the trust starts to erode and all those things. But there are so many moments where there are little fractures created because a leader of some sort, be it the transformational leader, leader or just the leader, doesn't do the responsible thing and takes the easy way out. But that's where coaching from crucial conversations or radical candor, all those other things really help because those are those are the moments that matter. I want to ask you guys a question and then I'll shut up for a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like measures. Again, I'm using this cow class as a backdrop. So I made a statement in there that The letters after your name, the amount of certifications you have does not matter. The number of books you've read doesn't matter. If you had dinner with, you know, Kent Beck last night or Ron Jeffries, it doesn't freaking matter. Like what matters is your behavior. How do you show up? All right. So talking a good game doesn't count. Reading a good game, PowerPoints doesn't matter. But it's like it's the output side or the outcome. It's your behavior. To me, that's an ultimate measure of a transformation is the modeling of the behavior of the organization. It's hard to measure it, right? It's observational. But to me, it's, I wish it was the one metric that matters. What do you guys think? How would you measure it is the first thing that comes to mind. I completely agree with you. And real quickly, I'll, I'll add in there with my time in the army, that was always like there's a different a deference for for officers, commissioned officers, lieutenants, captains, majors, et cetera, and then especially lower enlisted. You always need to remind lower enlisted, like the officers are people too. You know how do they put on their pants one leg at a time, just like you and I, right? But especially in the branches that I, so I was a signal officer, so I was working kind of in the technology branch. I mean, we, the soldiers that are trained to basically a a network administrator working and fielding the technology equipment that the army uses, incredibly technically competent. They know how to do their job. 
needing to report to officers and taking commands, et cetera. And I'm not knocking officers in this, but just understanding that the the behavior that these people would model, not stifling with the, the type of leadership that we have in there. And very often you'd have junior officers coming in and dictating commands against these college educated private first class E1s, E2s, E3s coming in who know just as much as these lieutenants and sometimes even more so and but allowing that rank to get in the way that ego to get in the way and so uh, completely on board with what you're saying Josh and I would just I guess going back to like how would you measure behaviors uh, would be the part that I would get stuck on so I'll tell another story when I started another hiring, story I, I know it's weird <laughs> uh, when I started hiring I was like the worst I wouldn't even read a resume if you didn't have a computer science degree and the better the school, the more likely I was to actually read it. And it was, it just was a disaster. Then over the next decade or so, I evolved into, I really, and right now I don't really care about your resume because it's easy to put words on a resume that will show up in the right search engines, be it a piece of software or someone's eyeballs that are searching that. So I, to me, it's about having a discussion and, and discussing through situations and it's harder, right? That's the, when I work with recruiters, I inform them, like I make your job really hard because I won't allow you to be lazy and just send me something that looks good because the resume has N number of certs or they've done these things like that's not good enough. What I want you to do is I want you to dig into that resume and show me where they've driven change. Show me how they've been a change agent, either by, by just having a large refactor and saying, you know what, this isn't good enough or helping to shape a team or standing up something new or doing that stuff that there aren't search engines that really tell you that. So it takes a significant amount of time to work with a recruiting or internal or external to say, okay, this is how we we evaluate people. And then you've got to reshape the hiring process and educate the engineers of, we're not going to do trivia questions and things like that. It's about, can they take a complex business problem and wrap code around it that's maintainable? Like, that's what we look for with our devs. There's not a, a five-question test you can give somebody to figure that out. Like, you just have to invest the time. But just like agile transformations, we're looking for a silver bullet. We're looking for the easy button. We're looking for where I have to do the least amount of effort to get it done. When in reality, to get it done well, you have to invest the time and energy. So that's a, to me, it always comes back to that. It just comes back to it's hard work and you got to evolve a strategy to get it done. Yeah. I don't know if you guys find the same thing, but when I'm out coaching different organizations or advising, I like to call it, I think most problems generally boil down to people problems. And I think what we're kind of dancing around is that the technical skills, they're more of a commodity these days. I think there's a lot of people with great technical skills. What's really rare is people that can put together the interpersonal skills. Um, I really like the way Patrick Lynchiani breaks it down, humble, hungry, smart. Jeff and I, we used to work for an organization, a consulting organization, and that's what they hired for. The whole entire like interview process was looking for this hungry, humble, smart. So just for those listeners that haven't heard that before, it's hungry, like they're hungry to learn, hungry to contribute to the team, smart, but that's not intellectually smart, it's emotionally smart. Like they can read people, they can read a room, they can understand when they say something that kind of pisses someone off and they can address it, right? Like, and then humble, like they're not in it for themselves, they're in it for the team. They don't, it's not like they're not 
confident. They can be confident and they should be confident. It's just that they don't think about their yourself all the time. They're thinking about what's best for the organization, the team all the time. And so looking for those things is sometimes hard to get through in an interview. And so one thing is like get people outside of their normal comfort zone. I really like organizations. I don't know, Josh, if you've ever tried this, but we have a, Jeff and I have a good friend here in Milwaukee who um, is working in a startup. And the way they do hiring is they just bring somebody in for a day after they've kind of gone through the formalities of, yeah, we think this would be a good person. And they just, they pay him for a day and they code for a day with him. And they say, if we can deliver something into production with this person on our team, then they probably are going to be a good fit. And if the team's okay with the way they work with them, then let's move forward. If not, let's end it right here. But like they actually work together for a day and then they just, they make the decision after that. So it's kind of a practical interview. It's not just like an hour answering a bunch of questions, you know? Yeah. We, I've adopted something similar, but more in the pseudocode realm, because to me, I don't care what programming language you're most confident in. I am looking for a good developer and a good developer. You can get over the syntax in a relatively short period of time. But again, it goes back to, can we work together to solve a complex business problem? So what I do is I put that person in a room with two or three of our, our team members say, okay, let's solve something on the whiteboard that's hard and let's work through it together. And I make sure that we frame it so that they aren't expecting that we expect them to go up to the whiteboard and do it themselves. It's like, no, this is a team because that's what we're about. So to me, it's can that person have a healthy dialogue when stakes are high? So I like the stakes to be high and I like that person to understand that this is important because I want to see how they handle it when things get a little rough, when things get a little scary. Like, are they going to be okay asking questions? Are they going to be okay saying, I don't know, what do you think? Or are they going to be the kind of person that always has to have that answer? So to me, I do the same thing. I don't do it the, the full day, but it's the same challenge of let's get together in a room and solve a problem together. And can we have a good dialogue? Because if not, nothing else really matters. But getting back, I want to just tee this up again. So we said humble, mm-hmm. right? I want us to brainstorm a little bit. And I, I'm not looking for leadership-centric metrics, but if you were looking, if we were all coaches and we walked into an organization and we were looking for behavior and humility or humbleness was part of that, what would we look for? How would we measure it? How would we know it when we saw it? So I default to my favorite question. So in that process where that person's working through designing a system or building a product or whatever, when I know they're right, I challenge them and I say, actually, I think you're wrong. I don't think that's the right answer. And I want to see, can they hit the pause button, see the wheels turn in their brain, think about it, and actually listen to me, or do they get defensive? So and, defensive behavior, listening behavior, right. open-mindedness. Right. And then being able to come back with a counterpoint and say, hey, Josh, actually, I think this might be the right answer, but tell me why you think this is wrong. And then courage yeah. to challenge yeah. the status right. quo. Yeah. So the, those are the methods that I use is I try and create that that moment where, hey, this this like person that wants to hire me tells me they think I'm wrong. How am I going to handle that? What am I going to do? Is my ego going to get in the way or what's going to happen? So the lack of that would be low, mm-hmm. right? On that scale mm-hmm. and, and seeing more of that would be high. Guys, what do you think? I was thinking the same thing that kind of Josh was talking about, but more the word that came to mind was inquisitive, like uh, a leader who's going to ask questions to draw out, like they might know 
that or have a strong sense that the answer that they're given is the wrong answer. But instead of telling them that's the wrong answer, based on the experience that they have, like ask them questions. Oh, what happens if this scenario comes up or performance, right? What happens if 10,000 users simultaneously hit the site? How will your solution handle that? And this goes back to mentoring, getting people to think at your level with your range as to potential problems through your experience, but getting them to to think on that level versus you just telling them so that they can own those answers more than you providing them to them. So inquisitive was kind of the, the, the word that came to mind there. Yeah, I like I like that one. I, I sometimes call that, you know, seeking to understand before trying to be understood. Um, but other things that I would look for is that the language that they're using can tell a lot. And, and that just comes out very natural. So if it's I and me language, maybe not so humble, but if it's we and us, okay, they're thinking about the team. Another thing I like to look for is if someone's talking about the team or they're talking within their team, if they're, if they're saying, if they're willing to say, I'm sorry, or I was wrong and you were right, your idea is better than mine, like things like that. I'm like, wow, that's a sign of a pretty healthy team. Like they're comfortable with each other to admit faults and, and no one holds that against them. I think that's another good indicator. I like the the language. I was just thinking we need an app for that or something (laughs) like, like something. No, I mean, I know it's simple, but like me's and I's versus we and us. And you can measure it at a team level. Again, I'm not insidious with this. I'm just, this is a, this is a game. Okay, guys, I, I can read people's eyes, right? And you guys are like, holy crap. <laughs> He's measuring, you know, verbiage. But it would be really indicative of the overall culture. And even leaders, you could measure it like from leaders to the teams, And then is that influencing more we at a team level if the leaders are modeling that behavior? And to me, that's a great indicator if we triggered on quietly. But if we, as coaches, if we observe sort of the language being used, that's a great indicator, I think. Another one that I like for language is if I hear yes, ands, that's good. Like, oh, yeah, that idea. And we could do this. Oh, my God. Instead of no buts. No, you can't do that. But what about this? You know, like uh, yes, ands are so much more powerful. And if I hear that, that's usually another good sign. Why do we create this conversation? Again, uh, I know it's a scary like app, but, you know, yesterday we went from like we had a hundred you know, no buts, or we had a thousand across the entire organization. We had one yes and and 10,592 no's, right? Or no, but it, it would do, it's never historically worked that way. So it won't work that way again, you know, again, that would be, it's funny. Cool. You, you joke with that, but I mean, I would imagine something like that is right around the corner with you just stick uh, an Amazon echo in the room and, it just monitors and listens for every time no but is said and can just spit you out a number at the end of every day. Well, I'm taking this coaching, this ORS coaching. I'm in the middle of a coaching sequence to become an ORS coach, a systems coach. And we talk about revealing the system to itself sometimes is one of the more powerful things. So not doing anything specifically as a coach other than showing it the way it is behaving, the system. And that can be incredibly bad. And then just sit back and and watch the system react to that. I, I feel like that's one of the superpowers of being a consultant is having the objective outside perspective. Like people get like tunnel vision, you know, not so much that this is the way we've always done it, but you just become naturally biased towards the way that you're used to working. And then you have this, 
third party person coming in and just taking a step back and being able to show and tell people like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Is this what, what's going on in your head? And exactly what you're saying is helping the system um, uh, see and analyze itself objectively, third party, without any of that bias built into there. I think that in and of itself can be pretty powerful. And I think that's why so many big consulting firms exist is they, they just are that neutral third party coming in. I want to real quickly tee up and go back to, I think, something Jeff said earlier. Jeff B., something about installing frameworks or installing transformations, right? Back to, like, we waved the magic wand. Yeah. So I'm trying to switch gears because I don't want to measure word count because I'll <laughs> either win or I'll lose. But this whole notion of installing a transformation or installing a journey, and let's talk about the trends that you see out there, like the real world. I'm biased, so I'm going to shut up. Can you install it? Are too many people installed? Is it trivial? Is it the wrong approach? What do you guys think? Like transformation packages. I don't like it because I think that if you just come in with like, hey, this is a simple space and we're just going to take X from over here and plug it in over here and it's going to give us the same results. I don't think it actually works. I think that there's a lot of values, a lot of mindsets um, a lot of context within an organization. There's architecture. There's things like that that like really matter. And so I think there are consultancies out there that take a very, I don't know, cookie cutter approach to like, we're just going to install it this way. And I don't think that works. I think you get the mechanics and you can check off. Yes, we do Scrum. Yes, we have a product owner. Yes, we have a Scrum master. Yes, we run the events. But are you actually living the values? Are you getting done increments? Are you providing value to your customers? Are you inspecting and adapting that and then learning from that really quickly? And are you getting better and better over time? I don't know that you get all those things. I see a lot of teams that really struggle with that. And organizations that I go into, usually after the fact, after these large consulting companies um, come in there, the number one thing that they miss is the done increment and they don't get the done, which I think is the core thing that, that they miss. And so if you don't have that done increment, you can't inspect and adapt and you can't learn from it. And you may have all the other framework and you might be doing hackathons and you might do all these other cool stuff that sounds really great and you've read about, but that without like the core of what, what we're really trying to do and with all the values is just kind of empty. What are your guys' thoughts? It's, Interesting that you say that because the number of times in my coaching that I've had to ask teams, like as a engineering team, like what is our job? What is the responsibility of our teams to the company? And you get, well, we build stuff, we do all this stuff. And it's like, no, we are here to deliver value to our customers. So often you get wrapped around the axle of the code and CI and CD and building and sprints and ceremonies and all that stuff that we often lose sight to your point, Jeff, of we're here to ship value. And it's not to like ship the coolest technological answer, but we're here to ship value. Maybe that value is one button instead of five. Maybe that value is removing things. Maybe that value is just providing clarity or better documentation or things like like there's a million ways to deliver value as an organization but oftentimes again when leaders have not done a good enough job of defining the value that's where teams kind of lose their way and they get in that forest versus the trees and they're so focused on the little things but it's not to your point jeff like hey are we like shipping things that matter to our customers and they're happy and excited that's a big challenge out there one of the things i've noticed so I'm a Scrum dot. I'm a Scrum Alliance guy. 
basically historically, but I've attended scrum.org events. I just did a pal with Ryan uh, Ripley a little while ago. And what I've noticed on the scrum.org side and both sides, I'm not even, that's the wrong word, but I'm just going to use the word side. Both sides amplify scrum guide and things like that. I think scrum.org amplifies values more and principles. And I mean, they, they beat the crap out of it, right? In a positive way. And, and I think part of it, that's good. That's what I'm saying. I think, I think it's, it's counterintuitive for a lot of consulting firms. I think organizations need that amplification on like values Mm -hmm. and principles, right? And characteristics like courage, be courageous and just ample and say it seven times, seven times in training and in coaching. So the organization gets it. I'm not saying Scrum Alliance doesn't do that, but there's this really stark, if you look at both environments or communities, it's really the bar is raised on the Scrum.org side in that area. Yeah, I would agree. Like, so Jeff and I are both PSTs and like going through the process to become a PST, like they just like hammer. It's like, how would you live the values? How would you live empiricism? Like that's a, just um, a pretty... Uh, it's very, very emphasized, I guess, as you go through the process. And we talk about that a lot in our courses and I think in the community uh, just in general. And I think it helps because when you're coaching organizations or individuals, you know, and they're always like, well, what do you do? And, and you're, you can tell them, I'm not always going to be there. But if you think of these values and you think of it, the three pillars of empiricism, how would you live those things? Exactly. That will guide you when I'm not here, right? Like, think about that. And, and there's a lot to reflect on there. Well, the basics, right? We're not focusing on the basics. Like Josh and I, you've talked about football. Mm -hmm. And no matter how good you are, you practice the basics, right? And you do it over and over again because you go back to basic principles. And I don't think we do enough of that, maybe in the transformation side. I want to flip on the framework question. So it's not just the consulting firms. Leaders are looking for silver bullets, aren't they? So they're buying. So it's not just I'm selling a framework package. Someone's actually buying it. Mm-hmm. How, how do we have that conversation with them to tell them that they can't buy it? What does that look like? So I've recently had this conversation with uh, some people, and they were trying to fight this mindset of, and I think, Bob, you were alluding to this earlier, where they imagine they just are walking down the aisle of Best Buy and they just, oh, here, some DevOps. I'll just pick exactly. up some DevOps for the team or some Agile transformation. Let's get some of this. Oh, right? you need it's more on, of that. It's sale. Grab three of those. Yeah, exactly. It's a Sam's Club. You can get it in bulk. And But you know, I use DevOps as an example because I feel like they're going through a very similar type of shift over there. But Helping leaders understand that, and this is something I wanted to bring up before, because it was a quote from uh, one of the books I'm reading, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. But so often where it's a leader, leader's mindset that agility and any of this transformation or this journey is for the team. I just keep doing what I do and agile is for the teams over here. And I think that's the starting point of the conversation is no, this is, this is really for the organization. This is for everybody in the system to change the behavior, change their mindset and refocus on to what we've hit on a few times here, delivering value to a customer. There's somebody's life that we're trying to improve in this. And this is going to, this requires an entire literal mindset shift of how we've been doing things previously to how we're going to go about it 
moving forward. And that's not just an installation one and done process. It does take you changing behaviors, your team members changing behaviors, and that catalyst changing an organization. I wish, I mean, I've been around, I was using XP. So my agile journey started around maybe 97, 98 with XP. 1897? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want to get clarity. So, so Abe rode, rode up on a horse. Okay. <laughs> that wonderful top hat. <laughs> Since I was balding at the time, he gave me his hat to yeah. cover my head. Yeah. Ass. <laughs> so now I totally lost my, my did, training. No, you didn't. Really? I did. I did. Oh, what did man. you do to so, me? Uh, You're talking about XP 1987. Oh, yeah. now. Yeah. I wish we would have never started teaching teams. So I get the fact. We should have, like leaders, there's that notion of leaders go first, right? Leaders should go first. I wish we would have never, like it is not, it's never been about the teams. So I'm like plus 200-ing on, on what I heard. It's the teams are the easy bit. The teams are the slam dunk. The teams are freaking, I mean, don't even take credit for moving teams, right? I mean, it's do whatever you do. It's the leadership culture that's, and it's always been that way, right? It's how they talk and how they work. So if you really want a transformation or a journey, why aren't we, that's why I wanted us to talk about it in, in this cast is the leaders of the rub and we need to be all over them somehow helping them, mentoring them, coaching them, training them, guiding them, right? And almost look at the teams as a side effect. Yeah, well, and that's part of the discussion of how did the team get here? What were the things that were put in motion that got us to here? I'm not saying that's good or bad, but let's recognize the, the journey on how we got to here to where you said, hey, we're going to hire the Jeffs. Or we're going to bring in Bob and Josh. Right. Can you hire the Jeffs? I, I don't see you why can. Not. You can actually. Yeah. Can, holy cow! Yeah. And that sounds like a super team or something, right? Yeah. Not one Jeff. It's like the Jeffs. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like the Bobs, you know? Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but the scary. opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, but you have to have that honest conversation with that leader of, okay, you're here. How did you get here? How did what? What were the things that got put in motion that got us here? And now you want to change. And you were likely a large part in how you got here. So you have to make a fundamental change to enable yourself to get to wherever you want the teams to be. All I'm, all I'm saying is let's stop. You guys aren't going to like this, but let's stop the uh, the PSMs and let's stop the PSPOs and, or the, the CSMs or the CSPO or whatever. Not stop. That's not, you know, the hierarchy we have, like you start here, you know, there's a tree. Every, every certifying body has like a tree, right? The tree starts with leaders, mm -hmm. right? You can't even approach scrum without a leader, I don't know, taking a class or taking two classes. And then you have to earn the right, like you have to earn the right, like you have these wonderful things called teams. Don't screw them up. <laughs> so you have to like earn the right to do that. I know I can't change it, but I wonder what – I think that would have been a better evolutionary path. And I'm not saying the teams aren't important. The teams are actually – they can be doing Agile stuff. You can't even walk into the door and interact with them until you've sort of earned the right to do that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I do whenever I start an, an engagement is I push as hard as I possibly can is to have C to C in the classes, I call it, from coding 
to C-level executives. I want everybody in the same types of classes. And that gives everybody speaking the same language. Everybody experiences what it feels like to deliver something in a sprint in the class. And I think that's it's very um, humbling for a lot of leaders when they actually have to go through that. And like Jeff and I are delivering a class because we do a lot of pairing. We deliver courses and we get to be like this really tough stakeholder. And we get to go against the CEO and say, you know, you're not delivering value. Why aren't you working harder? And we do the same things that they're saying, like we make them and we give it right back to them. And they're like, okay, this is really hard. I have some empathy for the teams now. I understand you need to change. Well, the stakeholder here needs to change. And so does, and so the team, this is a holistic thing. And so I think that's been pretty powerful for me on agile journeys that I've helped organizations start and um, get going. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I work with Vaco and I've done this. We create in a lot of transformations or journeys, we try to create an agile transformation team. Or Scrum at Scale calls it in eat and things like that. And I love it when they, and I tell them this, I'm like, you're going to fail. So the team is is populated with like really senior people typically. And I'm like, you're going to blow your first sprint at least. You're going to fail. And then I, I don't intentionally abuse them, but I want them, you know, to bite off more than they can chew or they don't deliver stuff that's done or they have no, <laughs> they, it's nothing is a potentially shippable increment. Etc. And there's so much empathy and so much learning and humility that comes from that. And that's what I'm saying. I wish we would do more of that earlier, right? Yeah, I think it's crucial. I, I mean, for if they're if leadership isn't going to put themselves through that training, then how serious are they really about making a change? They're, they're probably not. Well, and it's not just the, like you said, it's not just the training, but let's treat them like they treat everyone else, right? That's, yeah. that's where that simulation, and I don't mean in a malicious way. It's a growth that this is how we grow. It's like, hold up a mirror. How does that yep. feel? <laughs> Tell me how that feels. Right. I'm going to go just jump back real quick to our, our word map that we were coming back with. So we had like pain, trust, transparency, empowered courage. And I feel like in those types of situations, you're going to build those, right? It's definitely going to be painful. We're going to be courageous with each other. We're going to give, build some trust. You're going to give transparency into things. So again, I, I like Jeff, how you, you phrase that C to C, but the right people in the room all hearing the same message, building alignment. I think that's a good foundation to start building up those characteristics that we want to see in an organization. Any closing thoughts that you have? Anything you guys want to plug or did, talk about? Did you all run any metrics during this I, w- I would like to see the word count metrics. That <laughs> I wonder if there's a machine I can plug it into and then we can oh, confirm no, that no. Bob I, blows us all away by I, three to one. I think it was pretty even, but I, I could be biased. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah. It felt very balanced to me. Bob and I have joked about writing a piece of software to do that for years because <laughs> uh, he never believes me. But yet our <laughs> listeners keep bringing up the word count doesn't seem quite I know. equitable. I know. I mean, even your own wife <laughs> may have mentioned yeah. it once or twice. Oh, ouch. <laughs> no, long ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, so real quickly, I'll, I'll tell this story. In, in probably our first five Medicasts, we initially started in Josh's house. Yeah. And then I think the kids, they were younger yeah. then, and they were pretty they rambunctious. Were yeah. And so we came to my house to record. And early recording my wife was listening in in the hallway or something and she's like you didn't let that young man get a word in edgewise 
Right. And it, she immediately took Josh's side. Like I was the wordy curmudgeon and there was little Josh. And, and since that day, she's always, she always asks, you know, did, did he get a word in? Did you, did you give him a chance? Like, and the, and the implication is you ass, right? You're not <laughs> so you will. Yeah, yeah. My family's on Josh's side as well. I will have a plug. I published a third edition of my product owner book in March or something like that. So that's out there. People can find copies on uh, LeanPub. And what I'll do is I'll send you guys, when you post this, I'll send you a code for free e-copies if you're interested and, and listeners can get a free PDF of it. That'd be um, awesome. And the, Yeah, what's it called? Scrum Product Ownership. I think uh, Seeing the Forest and the Trees or something is the is the uh, subtitle. Awesome. A little historical point. I wrote the first product owner book that was available in 2009. So not Roman Pitchler or who's the other guy now with Scrum? Don? Is Don McGreal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're all late to the party. Right. <laughs> Although they yeah. have wonderful books. <laughs> just kidding. So I'll give you guys that. But I just wanted to say this is – really cool yeah thank you for yeah. inviting us yeah the uh only pitch i have is friday mornings at 11 a.m the kazi yeah uh the business that i run kazi.io we um that's our website i host a twitch stream where you come and get free coaching you come into the chat and ask questions and we have an amazing group of coaches that show up every week it is not you know, you go into the chat, you ask a question, I pontificate for 15 minutes. We, you know, I've, it's clear I'm never allowed to do that. So, but there are times when Bob's there, but also the key is someone asks a question and there's moments where I'm quiet for five minutes and like nodding and agreeing like, wow, that was a great in comment. the chat. Yeah. It's a whole dialogue. There's a community that jumps in and helps. So there've been people that are that are stuck at work. They're looking for a new job. They, they don't know what to do with the boss, all these things. They come in and they ask these questions and we help them for free. And it, it, and to me, it's a community and yes, I'm the face that's in Did the you camera. get someone from Australia? Yeah. Someone right. You got, said, you got yeah, Jamie in the UK at 3am to wake up so they could be on the stream live asking questions, which that was like, that was mine. But they're Australian, so there's probably beer or something involved in that. <laughs> why, why wouldn't there be? Exactly. Uh, but that, so it's more of this, but it's a dialogue. And there are often times where. All right, Bob cut it off. That's on. too many words. All right. I, I so, know, know. so everyone, got, listen to Kazi. Yeah. Uh, so it's a. I enjoy it. The people enjoy it. Bob enjoys it. Uh, so join us, ask questions. And can you shoot me over the the link to the actual Twitch stream sure. afterwards? I can yeah. include that in the show notes. Yep. But I do want to say this too. Like you guys, I was listening. You talked to Julie, I think. And this morning I was just listening. So I see your mirror. It's kind of cool. There's There's similarities between how you approach, you both approach it and we approach it. And, and it was fun. So I'm biased, but I'm like, you do a great job. I wanted to give you a cup. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm like, I'm complimenting ourselves too, but yeah, you, you I told do Jeff the job. same thing. Yeah. I told Jeff the same thing. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that Bob and Josh are just like us. Like they're the same thing. Like we, we kind of have the same attitude towards things. And, uh, 
I, I could see ourselves and, and you guys. So I thought it'd be fun to get all four of us together. So I'm, I'm glad this worked out and it was, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. On that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you.